Dragnets. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right. Well, we do have a three-hour presentation tonight. We're on from 8 o'clock till 11 p.m. playing a special Christmas edition of the WGN Radio Theater. Although Lisa Wolf is on vacation. She's in Florida. I wonder if it's uh, warmer in Florida or here. It's 56 degrees here in Chicago. Driving up here, that's what it said in my car. So filling in, pitch hitting for Lisa Wolf is my crabby brother, Vince Amari. What's up, bro? Not much, bro. What's happening? Merry Christmas to all. Yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, Yeah, my brother used to uh, be in the Twilight Zone radio dramas. Whenever I needed, like, a bad guy, you know, with a deep, uh, gruff voice, I would cast my brother, right? That's true. Yeah, he's got that gravelly voice, and he can't stand the Great Gildersleeve. I talk (laughs) about this all the time. He doesn't like the Great Gildersleeve, so I purposely... I'm not playing a great Gildersleeve tonight for you, bro. Well, thank you, because I wouldn't be here if you did. Right. We have a classic radio shows till 11 p.m., all Christmas shows celebrating Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Hanukkah. And we have a uh, Bing Crosby show. I mean, Bing Crosby and Christmas, very synonymous, right? Oh, yeah. We have uh, a December 25th, 1946 episode of uh, the Philco Radio Time Christmas episode with Bing Crosby. And then The Life of Riley, William Bendix as Chester A. Riley. And then after that, a very interesting, very heartwarming episode of Dragnet with Jack Webb. Um, if you've never heard this uh, episode, you're really, really going to enjoy it. It's a, it's a very heartwarming show. Um, before all of that, though, I'm going to play uh, a little uh, six-minute clip from my good friend Stan Freeberg. Now, my brother remembers working with Stan Freeberg for years. Uh, Stan was the, the uh, host of a radio series that I produced called When Radio Was. And uh, Stan Freeberg, what a what an honor it was to work with uh, with Stan, and he was a lot of fun. Remember, oh, we'd go on the cruises fun. with him and everything. Yes, sir. Great guy. Um, this is uh, sort of an homage to Stan. This is called uh, Green Christmas. Here, Stan Freeberg. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Bah, everybody. Good morning, Mr. Scrooge. Well, the meeting will come to order, if please. Are all the advertising people represented here? Everyone except amalgamated Amalgamated cheese. Well, if they're not here for the Christmas pitch, I can't help them find new ways of tying their product into Christmas. That's why I'm chairman of this board. Uh, let's hear it for me. Here, here, here! All right, Abercrombie, what are your people up to? Oh, same thing as every year. 50,000 billboards showing Santa Claus pausing to refresh himself with our product. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the public has come to expect that. That's and, uh... right. It's become tradition. Fine, fine. Uh, you there, crass. Uh, I suppose your company's running the usual magazine ad showing cartons of your cigarettes peeking out of the top of Santa's sack. Uh, better than that. This year, we have him smoking one. Mm-hmm. Yes. It got Santa a little more rugged, too. 
both sleeves rolled up and a tattoo on each arm. One of them says, Merry Christmas. Well, what does the other one say? Less Tars. Great stuff. Uh, but Mr. Scrooge... Well, who are you? Bob Cratchit, sir. I've got a little spice company over in East Orange, New Jersey. Do I have to tie my product into Christmas? What do you mean? Well, I was just going to send cards out showing the three wise men following the Star of Bethlehem. I get it. And they're bearing your spices. No, that's perfect. No, no, uh, no. No product in it. I was just going to say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Period. Well, that's a peculiar well, slogan. Old hat cratchit. That went out with button shoes. You're a businessman? Christmas is something to take advantage of. A red and green bandwagon to jump on. A sentimental shot in the arm for sales. Listen. Check the halls with advertising. Fa la 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 la. Why you can be enterprising. Fa la 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 la. The fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four bars of soap, three cans of peas, two breakfast foods, and some toothpaste on a pear tree. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five tubeless tires, four quarts of gin, three cigars, two cigarettes, and some hair tonic on a pear tree. Chestnuts roasting. Say, Mother, as sure as there's an X in Christmas, you can be sure those are Tiny Tim chestnuts roasting. Tiny Tim chestnuts are full-bodied, longer-lasting. This visible shell protects the nut. Now with XK29 added for people who can't roast after every meal. Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim, chestnuts all the way. Tiny Tim's roast hot like a chestnut hot. And they are mild, 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 mild. mild. to live by, Cratchit. Ah, oh, for you, maybe. And can't you just wish someone a Merry Christmas for the pure joy of doing it? Why? What's the percentage in that? Well, let me show you how to make Christmas work for you. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And please buy our beer. There you go, Cratchit. That's Christmas with a purpose. I know, but wait a minute. Don't you guys make enough profit the other 11 months? Christmas comes but once a year. <laughs> Funny thing, you should bring that up. That's exactly the point I was about to make. Hit it, boys. Christmas comes but once a year, so you better make hay while the snow is falling. Oh, that's opportunity calling you. But just so your mercenary toe. Buy and add and show all the toys, show all the toys up on the shelf. But just make sure that you get a plug, you get a plug in for yourself. A Christmas comes but once a year, so you better cash in while the spirit lingers. It's slipping through your fingers, boy. But don't you realize Christmas can be such a monetary joy? 
Well, I guess you fellas will never change. Why should we? Christmas has two S's in it, and they're both dollar signs. Yeah, but they weren't there to begin with. Hmm? The people keep hoping you'll remember, but you'll never do. Remember what? Whose birthday we're celebrating. Well, uh, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. Uh, the story of Christmas and its simplicity is a good thing. I buy that. It's just that we know a good thing when we see it. But don't you realize Christmas has a significance, a meaning? A sales curve. Wake up, Cratchit. It's later than you think. I know, Mr. Scrooge. I know. On the first day of Christmas, the advertising's there. Commercials on a pear tree. Jingles here, jingles there, jingles all the way. Dashing through the snow in a 50-foot coupe. O'er the fields we go, sailing all the way. Deck the halls with advertising. What's the use of compromising? Stan Freeberg, 1958, became a best-selling record, Green Christmas, the great Stan Freeberg right there. Hey, I want to say uh, thanks to Sammy Martino and Scott Nickel. They're producing the show tonight. Way to go, guys. We really appreciate you, and uh, Merry, Merry Christmas to you guys. My Merry cr- Christmas, Carl. Thanks, Thank buddy. You. Merry Christmas. Glad to have you, and it's really nice to meet you, uh, Scott. I've never met you before, and doing a great job. Way to go. My crabby brother, Vince Amari, is here, and we have classic radio shows all the way till 11 p.m., and our normal time slot is uh, Saturday nights, 10 p.m. until 3 a.m., five straight hours on Saturday nights where we play all your favorite classic radio shows. The Shadow, Jack Benny, Boston Blackie, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, The Lone Ranger. Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> my, fro- my crabby brother's favorite show. I don't know why you don't like Gildersleeve. He doesn't like that. You don't like that part, right? Well, kind of like nails on a chalkboard, maybe. Yeah. Well, um, no Gildersleeve tonight. We have Filka Radio Time with Bing Crosby coming your way after these words. All right, let's get into the Filka Radio Time. This is from Christmas of 1946. Bing Crosby stars. Here is, uninterrupted now, 30-minute episode of the Filco Radio Time. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day someone waits for me Welcoming you to Philco Radio Time, produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter, his chorus and orchestra, the Charioteers, Skitch Henderson, and starring Bing Crosby.
as is Bing's custom at Christmas time, he opens the program with a dusty Fidelis. And as usual, he will sing it first in Latin, and then with a studio audience joining him, singing it in English. Yes, Ken, I, I think it would be very fitting if our guests here would join in a chorus. Come all ye faithful. Bing, I think it'd be nice if the home folks, the folks listening in all over the world, would join in too. Oh, it would indeed. Gather round, folks, wherever you may be, and help us sing this eternal hymn. Adeste Fidelis Lady Triumphantes Venite, Venite In Bethlehem Natum Videte Thank you very much. A couple of uh, teenaged tunesmiths around Hollywood here, Mel Tormey and Bob Wells, have, have penned an item which I consider quite appropriate for tonight. It's sort of a musical Christmas card. Skitch and I'd like to do it for you. It's called The Christmas Song. On an open fire Jack Frost Nipping at your nose Yuletide carols Being sung by a choir And folks Dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help 
to make this season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep That Santa is on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said many times, many ways Merry Christmas to Christmas program without jingle bells would be like Christmas without mistletoe or something. We're prepared. We're not going to disappoint you because John Scott Trotter has assembled a bouncy version of this perennial favorite. Looking at my libretto here, I see there are parts for the charioteers, the vocal groups, Kitsch, and oh, yes, Crosby catches a cadenza or two. Matter of fact, I open the affair vocally. Roll them, John. Jingle, 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 Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. 
just fractured the vocal group and the charioteurs threw in 8,482 jingles and never dropped a jing. <laughs> kind of vocal work will give you a lower plate wobble, I guess. And now, here's the Philco man with a sprig or two of vocal holly. Hmm? Well, thanks, Bing. I just wanted to extend the season's greetings to our friends everywhere on behalf of Philco, its distributors and dealers. In the words of Washington Irving, this is the season for kindling the fire of hospitality and charity in the heart. Ken... You mean we're going to give away Philco's tonight? No, Bing, we're not even going to mention them. However, from all of us here on Philco Radio Time, sincere wishes for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, the halcyon days are here in radio, aren't they? <laughs> Jolly Noel from us all. I guess White Christmas could stand one last delivery before the season ends. Of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas Christmas card I write May your day 
be merry and bright and may all your Christmases be present Charles Taswell's Christmas play, The Small One, a story for those who like Christmas and small donkeys. The same winter sun that dances on the winter snows up north sprawls indolently at ease in the thick white dust of El Camino del Norte, Old Mexico. A passerby, weary from the heat, has paused to rest in the cool, dripping shade of a pepper tree and has dropped off to sleep. He's suddenly awakened by the shrill voice of Pablo, aged ten, who stands with bare brown legs wide apart in the center of the road and bitterly addresses a small, discouraged, disreputable donkey. A donkey? A donkey you call yourself a stupido? Fine animal with four stout legs, one on each corner. A most splendid tail to shoe off the flies and a most handsome head stuck on the front to point the way you're going. I see. And what use do you make of this excellent equipment the good God has given you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Or a disgrace to all the donkeys of Mexico, of all the world, of all... Pablo. See? Oh, buenos dias. I did not know that... What's all the commotion here, young man? What, what has the poor beast done that you should be so angry? But nothing. Well, then why are you... Then that is all he wants to do, ever. Here it is, but two days until Christmas, when a load of wood could be sold in the village to buy gifts and a candle. But does that matter to this one? No, he cares for nothing but nothing. <laughs> well, a donkey's a donkey, Pablo. They're all the same. But why? Why of all beasts should a donkey be so, so stubborn? Stubborn? Oh, no, Pablo. That's wrong. But he's always... I know, I know. Everyone says they are. They curse them and they belabor their backs with sticks and they call them stupid, but... That's because they don't know the truth about little donkeys. The truth? Yes. It's really not stubbornness, but pride that makes small donkeys so, well, so aloof. No wind, sun, rain, pain, or adversity can touch them. You see, their pride is a shield against all the discomforts man or the elements can offer. But what has a donkey to be proud of? Oh, a great deal, Pablo. Bring your small beast over here in the shade. I'll explain. Come along, Cupido. Listen. Listen, Pablo, do you hear that? Only a small donkey can make that sound with his hoofs as he walks on the stones of the road. No other beast can do it. Sit down. Sit down, my son. Si, senor. Now, as I was saying, people are all wrong about small donkeys. A very long time ago, a great honor came to one of them, an honor so great that it lifted him and all his descendants to an exalted place. A place that you or I or, or all the world might envy. Ever since that time, every small donkey has been content to stand and drowse in the sun or the shade. For he alone of all animals, of all men, has already fulfilled his destiny. His destiny, yes, senor? Yes, yes. You see, once upon a time, there was a small donkey. 
He was 14 unhappy years old, and he had worked hard and long for at least twice 14 masters. He was battered and scarred, and he presented a most distressful appearance. His tail was not but a piece of limp rope unraveled down at the end. One of his ears stood straight up like a cactus plant, while the other hung drooping like a wilted cabbage leaf. His off hind leg had a decided stiffness. What was his name? They called him the small one. His latest master was a woodcutter who also owned four younger and therefore stronger donkeys, but small one was the special charge of the woodcutter's son. It was the boy who saw to it that small one always had dry straw for his bed and that the load of wood to be carried to the town was not too heavy for small one's aging back. One day the woodcutter called his son to him and said, Son? Yes, Father? I have a task for you to do in the town, son. A load of wood? No. I wish you to take this donkey, the one you call the small one, to a shop just inside the town gates. I have already spoken to the owner. He will give you a piece of silver in exchange for the beast. You mean... Oh, you don't mean you're going to sell small one. He can no longer do his share of the work. Even when carrying half the load the other donkeys carry, his worn-out legs tremble and his sides work like a bellows. But he'll be strong as the others soon. Will you wait and see? Give him a few weeks and... Enough. An old donkey is of little use. One day he might drop dead on us up in the hills, a total loss. Better to take a piece of silver and say good riddance to the beast. You will start at once. You hear? Yes. Yes, Father. The shop you will take him to is the second one on the left as you pass through the gates in town. The second? But that's the tanners. And what of that? The small one's hide is old, but it will make good leather. But he's been faithful. He's worked hard. He's done his best. And you can't sell him to the tanners to be killed. Come now. I'll have no tears. No crying over a miserable donkey. Perry, be off with you. And take good care not to lose that piece of silver on the way home. And so, Pablo... The small boy and the small donkey began their sorrowful journey into town. The boy was heartbroken. He cried for a while. And then he tried desperately to think of some way to save his friend. The sound of the small one's hoofs on the road seemed to say over and over again, going to the tanners, going to the tanners. Suddenly it came to the boy's mind that there was a horse market in the town. If he could sell the small one to some new and kind master, the little donkey would still live and... Yet the father would also have his piece of silver. Well, it was early afternoon when the boy and the small one passed through the town gates and down the narrow, twisted streets to the marketplace. And what about this fine animal, my friend? A mare whose sire was so famous that not the prince has ever set his back. Strong of limbs, strong of wind. Who'll start the bid at 50? 50! 50 it is! Who'll make it 51? Come, come, my friends. Are you going to let such an animal go for so paltry a sum? Uh, please, sir, would you like to buy a fine donkey? What? What'd you say, boy? This small donkey, he's for sale. Uh, strong and willing, the price is very cheap, but what piece No, of I don't want to buy a donkey. Be off with you. Sixty! Sixty is the bid. That's more like it. You are here, sixty-two. Will someone say sixty-two? Come, come, my friend. You'll never again get such a fine horse for so little cash. 
Look at the brown head. See the flowing mane. Excuse me, please. This small donkey's for sale. Would you what like What is to... it you want, boy? This fine animal. He can be bought for only one piece of silver. Isn't that a great saving? They're bidding 60 for the horse, and I know he can't do half the work a small one. Look, he's very... Go deadly. away. Don't bother me. Oh, but he's... Go away! Or I'll take a stick to both your backs. And now, my friend, my Now, who has the next animal for sale? Step up! Please, sir, would you try to sell this small donkey? Go away, boy. Oh, but he's a very valuable animal. He's not nearly as old as he looks. It's just because he's worked so hard. And the other one that doesn't stand up straight as a donkey should. Well, that was a fault of a careless master, not his own. He eats very little, and he's terribly strong. This is a horse and... market, boy. We've no time to waste on donkeys. But a small donkey would take such a small time. <laughs> all right, all right, my boy, if you insist. My friends, my friends, a great bargain I have to offer you. The proud owner terms it a donkey, but it appears to me to be an animated pile of shaking bones. Yes, <laughs> not. You can see how the moths have been at the hive. And the tail, is it a tail? Or is it the stub of a broom worn out from sweeping the courtyard? <laughs> A true museum piece, my friends. Moldy with age and loose in the joints. He's not. He is not. Ah, but it is not seemly to laugh, my friends, because the owner assures me that this animal is fine enough to share a stall with the king's horses. Stop! You shan't make fun of him. Maybe... Maybe he's not as handsome as your animals, but he's better. He's a lot better. Small one deserves to be in a king's stable. All right, all right, boy. Take your donkey and move along. We've got business to attend to. Hurry up. Off with you. Now that we've had our fun and disposed of the king's donkey... So the boy and the little beast left the marketplace, Pablo. And the hours were slipping swiftly by, and the boy knew he must start soon for home. That he must have the piece of silver to give to his father. He tried stopping people on the street. And he inquired from door to door, but no one wanted to buy a small, tired donkey. The sun was sinking fast when he came at last back to the town gates, and he stood before the tanner's door. The boy's face was tear-streaked, and the small one's head drooped so low that his limp ear almost touched the ground. The boy said goodbye to his small friend, asked forgiveness for what he had to do, and there was understanding in the little donkey's eyes. Then, just as the boy was lifting the latch of the tanner's door, a voice spoke to him. My son. Yes? Yes, sir? I have a great favor to ask. Are you the owner of that small donkey? Oh, oh, yes, sir. I have a long journey to make. My wife is not well. I have great need of a strong, gentle animal to carry her safely. Small one's very strong and very trustworthy. Yes, I can see. Would you sell him to me? Yes, oh, yes, sir. But for one piece of silver. One piece of silver? Is that too much, sir? Too much? Oh, no. A very reasonable price for such a beautiful animal. <laughs> he's not very beautiful, but he's good. Yes, yes, I can see that. I'll be kind to him. I promise you that. Well, then he'll work so hard to please you. Here's your piece of silver. Come, small one. Do you mind... 
Do you mind if I come as far as the town gates? You see, the small one Not and I... Not at all. You'll want to say goodbye to him, of course. You can do that while I see my wife safely on his back. Here we are. Easy, small one. Goodbye, small one. You must be very faithful. And it isn't forever, you know. When I grow up and earn many pieces of silver, I'll buy you back. And you'll have a fine stable and, and nothing to do at all but sleep and eat. Won't that be nice, small one? All right, my son. We're ready to go. Wait, traveler. Yes, soldier? I must make out the record before you can pass through the town gates. Who are you? My name is Joseph. And your wife? They call her Mary. Your destination? Bethlehem. Pass. Come, small one. Goodbye, son. Goodbye. Goodbye, small one. Be gentle and sure of foot. And carry her safe to Bethlehem. So Pablo, the small one, traveled the many weary miles to Bethlehem. There in a stable which became a king's stable, he saw a king born. The king of men, of centuries of life, of death. Yes, the small one's tired old eyes saw the shepherds and the wise men who came to pay homage to his small master. And he heard the voices of angels rejoicing, singing. Singing the very same notes his hoofs had rung out on the stones of the road. And then it came to pass that all those who had laughed at his ragged coat, his limping gait and his drooping ear, they all envied the small one. For he was part of a great miracle. It was a long, long time ago, Pablo, my son. But today all small donkeys stand and they dream. Especially at Christmas time, they dream of the small one. The small one of Bethlehem. Silent night. Say 
is born Christ the Savior is born This program is produced and transcribed in Hollywood Philco Radio Time from Christmas Night of 1946, and uh, Bing Crosby starring in that. Um, great episode, great Christmas episode. Hope you enjoy that. And you know, we had a uh, listener call in a little earlier, um, and uh, was saying, "Hey, uh, we are loving all the Christmas programs that WGN's been playing for the last couple of days." And yes, I mean, I have been enjoying it too. Antenna TV has been bringing you all those great. Christmas shows, and so it's been it's been awesome because um, what's better than classic radio Christmas shows? I don't know anything better than that, bro. Uh, not not that I can think of not right that now. You can think of off the top of your head? No. All right. Well, uh, we have more Christmas shows for you. In fact, in, uh, in just a little bit, we have the Life of Riley from December twenty third, nineteen forty nine a show called The Christmas Club, and then after that, Dragnet, Jack Webb stars in a 1950 episode, and I'm telling you, that is one you don't want to miss. We're going to come back with more after the news. Way to go, broski. Hey, thank you. Man, you know what? Uh, if, uh, if I have to take off, you could just do the show by yourself. Of course. Yeah, not bad. As long as we don't play Gildersleeve. Yeah, that's it. No Gildersleeve. Well, in this hour, we will have The Life of Riley, and then in our third hour, it's Dragnet. You know, it's Christmas. I didn't get much for Christmas this year, bro. But you know what? Spike Jones knows exactly what I want for Christmas. Let's listen. Gee, if I could only have my two front 
The great Spike Jones. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, bro. That's all I want. That's it? That's it. That's it. Uh, that's why I go to the dentist all the time and get my teeth cleaned and and I floss because I don't want to lose those two front teeth. That's right. I got them for Christmas a long, long time ago. All right, we have the life of Riley coming your way right after these words. Hi, it's Lindsay from House Smarts Radio. I'm here with Tom Jenke at Builder's Supply Outlet, and we're surrounded by vanities. Lindsay, check out our Brantley Vanity Collection. This furniture-style vanity is built to last a lifetime. It even has soft-closed doors and drawers. That's a gorgeous color, too. It's harbor blue, but it also comes in white and distressed gray. And it comes in all these different sizes? Yep, anywhere from 24 inches to 60 inches. Go ahead and feel the quality of this Brantley Vanity. Wow, this is not the kind of flimsy particle board vanity I've seen at the big box stores. It's built like a high-end piece of furniture, and just changing out your vanity with a quality option like this is one of the fastest and easiest ways to improve the value of your home. Builder's Supply Outlet is located just five miles east of the Oak Brook Shopping Mall on Cermak Road at 25th Avenue in Broadview. Or check them out online at buildersupplyoutlet.com. Quality and savings are what you get at Builder Supply Outlet. Hi, I'm Brian Scudamore from 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I'm embarrassed to show you what I want you to haul away. Nothing makes us happier than hauling off weird junk. We leave behind happy places and happy faces. You were here in less than 90 minutes. And we work until midnight, seven days a week. Ready to make junk disappear. Is it true that all I have to do is point? All you have to do is point. Amazing! Your home will sparkle and sing a happy song. Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.COM.
Attention investors, sick of market ups and downs, not earning cash flow of 18 to 21% targeted consistently? Want to plan around future recessions? National Realty's Class A Buildings Fund is made up of prime income producing real estate. You're secured on large apartment buildings. You're backed by $750 million of high quality new construction. You receive monthly electronic cash flow payments. You're diversified with 15 large buildings supporting your money. Your investment is managed and perfect for retirement. These prime building locations back you with hard money-making assets. Remember, no matter what type of market, it's always a landlord's market. Call now for your free guide to secured realty investment wealth. Just call now and learn our proven insider method. Our 13-year flawless track record and 900 repeat investors proves it. Call 201-210-2727. That's 201-210-2727. An offer to buy or sell any security is only made by our private placement memorandum. Read it first and invest wisely. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. National is a real estate development firm. See us at nria.net. Be sure to check out the CB app or hit up Facebook and tell Chicago's Best TV where you like to eat. Watch Chicago's Best Sundays at 10 p.m. on WGN-TV. Your pick may be Chicago's Best. All right, it is time now for the life of Riley. William Bendix is Chester A. Riley. Of course, it was a very popular TV show, but before it was a TV show, it was a radio show, and this is called The Christmas Club, December 23rd, 1949. Uninterrupted, 30-minute episode now, The Life of Riley. Oh, it's the life of Riley when it's Axe Blue Ribbon you drink. The finest beer served anywhere, so let the glasses clink. Oh, east or west or north or south, there's nothing like it at all. Yes, you're living the life of Riley when for Pabst Blue Ribbon you call. When for Pabst Blue Ribbon you call. Pabst Blue Ribbon, finest beer served anywhere. Proudly presents The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. Human beings are improvident creatures, heedless of the future. And thus, banks in this country have had to devise painless inducements for thrift. One of these is the Christmas Club, whereby you deposit a small sum every week for 52 weeks, and then just before Christmas, you go to the teller's window, present your Christmas Club book, and withdraw your savings in a lump sum, which enables you to buy Christmas presents for your friends, who, on receiving them, will exclaim, Ah, what a cheapskate. (laughs) Standing in line now at the teller's window is Chester A. Riley, who joined the Christmas Club 52 weeks ago. Mrs. Medbury? Yes, that's right. Here you are, $104. I'll take it in 20s. Uh, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, and 1, 2, 3, 4. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Same to you. Mr. Roberts? J.J. Roberts. $150, right? Right, I'll take it in 20s. 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 20, 40, and 10 is 50. Merry Christmas. Thanks, same to you. Who's next? Uh, me, Riley's the name. May I see your passbook? Passbook? I think I got it. Oh, yeah, here. Hmm. You get $2. I'll take it in 20s. Two dollars You only made one deposit all year Is that all? Well, I thought I made uh, I guess it slipped my mind Only two dollars I'm afraid that's all But what about interest? Ha, ha, ha That's what I thought (laughs) Well, I'll take the two dollars Just a minute There's a 75 cent charge for the passbook Oh Well, okay, I'll just 75 cent penalty for failure to make a minimum of ten weekly payments 
Oh. Well, okay. I'll, and I'll a just... 75 cent service charge for mailing notices. Okay, okay. Just give me... You owe us 25 cents. <laughs> I owe you... T no wonder on the window it says $10 billion reserve. <laughs> now I know where you get it from. Mr. Riley, you... All right, all right. Here's your quarter. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Ah, the same to you. <laughs> Now, let's get this shopping list finished. Uh, later, Peg. But there's only a few days left till Christmas. Oh, I hate last-minute shopping. Yeah, everything is gone, and all you can buy is junk. Now, come on, Riley. You write the list. Uh, okay, but let's try not to go overboard on presents this year. I, I ain't a millionaire, you know. But we got the Christmas club money. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, thank goodness. You know, dear, that was a wonderful idea of yours. Yeah, it was a wonderful idea. Don't forget Babs and me chipped in every week. And a good thing, too. It'll teach you a lesson in thrift. Yeah, it'll teach them a lesson, all right. <laughs> How much have we got in the club? Huh? Oh, about... We uh, should have $104. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> More or less. Well, what about the interest? Ha, ha, ha. Don't count on interest. Well, did you withdraw the money from the bank? Well, no, not, not yet. Well, uh, don't forget. Do it tomorrow. This'll be the first Christmas we won't have to watch every penny. I think I'll go for a walk. <laughs> now, wait a minute, dear. We gotta do this list. Oh, yeah. Let's see now. First, the Morrises. What do you think they'd like? I mean, they're both crazy about tennis. Well, how about giving him a tennis ball? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. A tennis ball only costs 60 cents. Well, it ain't the gift. It's a thought behind it. I know what to get him. Trudy's redecorating her dining room. We'll get her something for the table, maybe. How about a nice box of toothpicks? <laughs> oh, stop clowning. Who's clowning? They're made of the finest lumber. <laughs> Look, Riley, we can get along without you. You go for your walk. We'll drop this list alone. Well, just go easy. Don't make that list too long. What are you worrying about? The big trick is to shop wisely. Yeah. You'll be surprised what we can do with that Christmas club money. Yeah, I'll be surprised, all right. Gillis! Oh, Gillis! Yeah, Ronnie? Are you home? Yeah, I'm home in here, Ronnie. Oh. Oh, hi, Gillis. Oh, you're trimming your tree, huh? Yeah, hand me some of them there bells there, will you? Where? Oh, these? Yeah, thanks. I get a big kick out of trimming a tree. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Listen, Gillis, Nothing like Christmas, you know. Yeah, sure. Look, I... Sort of get you, you know what I mean? Inside of you. You feel good. Yeah, I know. Look, I... Warm. I... You, you kind of have a glow inside. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm in a spot. Goodwill I... toward man. Now, that ain't no baloney. On Christmas, I really look at people different. Gillis, what I'm getting at People is ain't that... just people anymore. They're my brothers. And I'm filled with the spirit of giving. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, you see. I feel like stopping some bum on the street, some bum, and holding out my hand and saying, Brother, take everything I got. Gillis, can you lend me $100? I feel like it, but I don't do it. <laughs> Why encourage bums? Well, look, Gillis, I gotta have some dough. Get lost, will you? You're turning me down, your best friend. You just said you'd give to a bum. Well, with a bum, I got a 50-50 chance of getting it back. With you, I know I won't. 
Well, it's only for a couple of days. I'll be getting my Christmas bonus from the boss at the plant. Come on, just 60, uh, 50 bucks, huh? Where am I going to get that kind of a dough? Two days before Christmas, I'm broke. Well, I got to get hold of some dough. Pe Peg is home now, right now, a list of stuff to buy. Hey, didn't you? Yeah, last year you told me you joined up with a Christmas club. What happened? Well, I didn't pay my dues, so they kicked me out of the club. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Gillis, ju just loan me 40 bucks. I'm begging you. Look, Riley, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a growing man begging. Don't beg. Do what any other self-respect a married man would do. Hock something of your wife's. <laughs> Wife? Yeah, jewelry, you know, a uh, wedding ring. Oh, how much could I get on Peg's wedding ring? It only costs $5 to start with. <laughs> only $5? Yeah, that's all she paid for it. <laughs> oh, ain't she got no other jewelry? No, she ain't got... Hey, wait a minute. She's got an old brooch of her grandmother's. Yeah, wait anything? Well, it's supposed to be. It's a real antique. She never wears it. Oh, but what's the use of talking? If I point it, she'll find out. She don't have to know. You mean take it and not tell her? Why, that's stealing. No, nothing doing. You won't be stealing. Just borrow it when she ain't looking. <laughs> no, I can't do that to pay. Just for a few days. When you collect your bonus, you can redeem it and put it back. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, just for a few days. And I'm really doing it for the sake of the family. You can't call that stealing. It's really borrowing. Sure, it's just a loan, that's all. Well, sure, you might say I'm just liquidating hidden assets. I'm just transferring the collateral, kind of fiscal fiduciary. <laughs> that's right. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go steal that brooch. <laughs> here somewhere. You're sure she ain't wearing it? Nah, she never wears it. It's too fancy. It's somewhere in this bedroom. Better hurry up and find it. Yeah, Peg will be home soon. Did you look in this here drawer here? Well, how can I? It's locked. Dope. That's where it must be. Yeah? Well, I ain't got the key. Well, pull on it. These locks ain't strong. Oh, oh this one is. Let me try. <laughs> there. Now look what you've done. It's splintered. You can glue it back later. Look for the brooch. Uh, should be in here. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, that's it. Hey, it's got diamonds. Oh, sure, this is the real thing. That's Peg. Oh, I'm so tired I can drive. I've never seen the store so crowded. Let's get out of here. Not that way. She'll see us. Uh, the window. But, but the room, it's all a mess. You'll clean it later. Get going. Come on, open the window. I can't. It's, it's stuck. Let me try. Look <laughs> what you've done. You'll fix it later. She hate us. Out the window. Come on. Hurry, hurry. Well, it sounded like it came from the bedroom. Now run for it. Why, I could have sworn I heard... Bands. <gasps> Look at this room. Oh, looks like a cyclone went through it. Well, someone smashed that window. And this drawer's been forced. Is anything missing? Oh, well, let's see. <gasps> My brooch. Oh. I kept it here. Oh, Babs, we've been robbed. It's gone. Oh, that must have been the burglar we heard. Oh, why wasn't your father here? Oh, what are you going to do, Mother? I'm calling the police. How much do you think you can lend me on it? Well, let's see now. It's, it's a real antique. It belonged to my wife's grandmother. And the setting's old-fashioned. So is my grandmother. <laughs> it's worth around $1,000, huh? Well, it's got some good stones in it. Oh, it's probably worth 1500 
Well, not quite. I'll give you $100. I'll take it. She's out. I better clean up the bedroom. Oh, oh, it's you, Riley. Hank. I didn't uh, hear you come in. Riley, we were robbed. Robbed? Well, now, don't be silly. My brooch is gone. Well, maybe you mislaid it. Oh, no, no, it was stolen. I heard the thief. Now, Peg, believe me, we weren't robbed. Oh, Riley, use your eyes. Look at this room. Clothing all over the place, pulled out of the drawers. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah those California moths... Uh, uh, Riley, <laughs> this is no joke. We were robbed. Well, well. Oh, that reminds me. Here's the money from the Christmas club. Oh, never mind that now. I tell you, we were robbed. and You act as if it's something that happened every day. Yeah, uh, That's right. I should do something. And, and don't you worry. I will. You leave it to me, Peg. Well, where are you going? I'll handle this. Who are you phoning? Hello, Gillis talking. Hello. Police headquarters. What? Are you nuts? Don't call the police. Officer, I want to report a robbery. Since when does a crook report his own robbery? <laughs> a brooch was stolen from Chester A. Now, Riley, 1313 Blue Terrace. I, I already called Peg, the I can't police. hear a word you're saying. Wait, I'm through phoning. But Riley... Now look, Sergeant. Riley, you go on for You judge. catch that crook in 24 hours. Goodbye. Riley, why don't you listen to me? I told you oh, that yeah, I... Just a minute, Peg, the door. Good evening. I'm Sergeant Henderson, police headquarters. What a department. They certainly moved fast ever since the shakeup. <laughs> Riley, I called the police before you got here. Oh. Mrs. Riley? Uh, yes. We believe we found your brooch. Is this it? Oh, yes. Where did you get it? The thief pawned it only an hour ago. Did you catch him? Not yet. <laughs> Watch that? I said, not yet. No, but we will. The pawnbroker gave us a very good description. He did? I have a hunch it might be someone in the neighborhood. Oh, no, no, it couldn't be. This is a nice, respectable neighborhood. Well, anyway, I'd like to give you his description. Uh, you may remember seeing him around. He's about five foot ten. Five foot ten. <laughs> Riley. What are you doing on your knees? Uh, I'm looking for something. Blue eyes. How can you look for something with your eyes closed? Blonde hair. I'm looking for my hat. It's on your head. Thank heaven for that. Oh, what's the matter with you? He weighs about 170. He said his grandmother gave it to him. Never mind. I know who it is. You do? Chester Riley. Now, wait a minute, Peg. I can explain the whole thing. I don't quite understand. Riley. Well, I, I just borrowed it j j just for a few days. I needed the money. I, I didn't want you to find out there's no money in the Christmas club, so... Oh, no! No, I take that back. What? No. <laughs> but, but every week we all gave you money. Yeah, well, I borrowed that, too. <laughs> you borrowed that, too? Okay, Sergeant, I'll go quietly. Take me to jail. Well, if Mrs. Riley prefers charges, uh, Mrs. Riley? No. No charges. I'll handle this in my own way. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, good night, ma'am. No, Sergeant, wait. Chester Riley, when I get through with you... Sergeant, come back. 
As a taxpayer, I demand that you arrest me. I'm entitled to protection. <laughs> Taps Blue Ribbon will bring you the second act of The Life of Riley in just a moment. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Every time the clock ticks, thousands of people north, south, east, west are buying a bottle of Pabst Blue Ribbon. And that, my friend, goes on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. No, it's not my purpose to impress you with the arithmetic of Pabst Blue Ribbon's popularity. I merely want to register this one point. All of those bottles of Pabst Blue Ribbon, every second of the day, are exactly alike. And I'm speaking about the beer, not the bottles. It's exactly alike in taste, exactly alike in flavor, exactly alike in color, exactly alike in quality. Taste it. Know wherever you go, you hear it called and called for as the finest beer served anywhere. You hear it everywhere, finest beer served anywhere. Thirty-three fine brews blended into one great beer. And now, back to The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley with Paula Winslow and John Brown. Craig! Babs! Oh, oh, you're eating already. I'm sorry I'm late for supper. I stopped in at that stool pigeon. I mean, pawnbroker, and, and redeemed the... Here's your brooch. I... Well, take it. Come on, Peg, you... I'll put it in your purse. Okay, okay, you don't have to tear my hand off. Put it in yourself. I wasn't going to take anything. Well, might as well sit down and eat. What's for supper, Peg? Uh, what are you eating there, Junior? Is that pot roast, Babs? You might answer me when I talk to you. Fine thing, I come into my own house and nobody says a word to me. Not even hello. I'm the head of this house and I insist that somebody say hello. Hello. That's better. <laughs> no, no, you had the wrong number. Now look here, Peg, I'm entitled to some respect. Respect? You want respect after what you did? Well, I just took the brooch, so I'm not talking about the brooch. That Babs and Junior trusted you. Every week they gave you their nickels and dimes. We saved it out of our allowance. Well, who gave you your allowance anyway? Mom did. Just wanted to make sure you knew. We trusted you, Daddy. And you took their money and, and stole it. I didn't steal it. No? Well, what would you call it? Embezzlement? <laughs> I really meant to deposit the money. I, I just borrowed it. And I would have put it back, only Christmas came so sudden this year. Some Christmas, no presents. Yeah, we got a tree and nothing under it. What'll people think? Well, is that all you care about? What people think? My boss will be dropping in Christmas morning to hand me my bonus check. How will it look? Well, whose fault is it? That's beside the point. We got to do something. Just don't try pawning the furniture. <laughs> oh, I'll think of something. I ain't gonna have no naked tree in my house.
Oh, hi, Muley. Merry Christmas. Yeah, same to you. So long. Merry Christmas. Fine Christmas I'm having. I'd have a merrier Christmas if I was in Forest Lawn. Would you care to bet? Huh? It is I, Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. Oh, I didn't recognize you, Digger. What are you doing dressed up as Santa Claus? Well, I do this every year. Uh -huh. I solicit contributions for the UEPJYS. UEPJYS. The Undertakers, Embalmers, and Pallbearers, Jolly Yuletide Society. <laughs> Charity, you know. Uh, Our slogan is, help a body get on its feet. <laughs> I stand on the corner here and I ring my little bell. Listen. <laughs> That's very jolly. I see you've been doing a lot of shopping. No. Oh, you mean these boxes? There's nothing in them. You, you got any empty boxes, Digger? No. Every box down at my place is filled. <laughs> I'm giving away a lot of gifts this year. Why do you need boxes? Oh, just an idea I got. I, I think I have enough. Well, I'd better get on home. Merry Christmas, Digger. The same to you and a happy new year. I wish you happiness, prosperity, and a long life. And believe me, I don't say that to everyone. <laughs> well, cheerio, I'd better be shoveling off. Riley? I'm in the living room, Peg. Well, what are you doing? Riley, what are those packages? Uh, they're presents for the family. Well, where did you get the money now, don't to... Don't get excited. There's nothing in them. <laughs> but they're wrapped so beautifully. I did it. I, I bought some paper and ribbon. If people drop in and see all these boxes, they'll think it's presents. They, they won't know it's really empty. <laughs> that's using my head, huh? And that's empty, too. <laughs> I guess it is, only it ain't wrapped as pretty. <laughs> Riley. Oh, Mom. Hey, look at all the presents. Oh, where'd they come from? But don't get excited, children. They're empty boxes. But they got tags with writing on them. That's right. I, I always say if you do a thing, do it right. <laughs> this one here is from you, Peg, to me. It's supposed to be an electric blanket. <laughs> the card says, To my darling husband, may this keep him as warm as my burning love for him. <laughs> oh, brother. And this one here says, to the best daddy in the world from his love and children. Cute, eh? Well, it's just an idea. Uh, this one here is for you, Junior. Gee, that's a funny-looking package. So long and thin. It's supposed to be a baseball bat. Oh, I wanted a football. I'll make it a football. <laughs> and this here is for you, Peg. Both of them. I, I got two boxes for you. It was very generous of you. Card says... To my loving wife, a merry, merry Christmas. Well, Riley, what are you crying about? That's the way I am. I get so much joy out of giving. <laughs> what time is it, Peggy? Half past 11. You better go and eat some breakfast. I ain't hungry. Stevenson should be here by now. 
Maybe he's not coming this year. He better come. I'm counting on that bonus. Why are you all sitting there looking at me like that? This is a fine Christmas morning. Everybody's sitting around like it's my funeral. Hey, here comes your boss, Pop. That's his car. Huh? Yeah, that's it. I told you he'd show up. Now smile, will you? All of you. Remember, it's Christmas. And... Merry Christmas, boss. Merry Christmas, Riley. Come in. Come in. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, Merry, Merry Christmas, Mr. Stevenson. My, what a beautiful tree. Look at all those beautiful packages. Say, you haven't opened them yet. Uh, well, no. <laughs> we, we didn't get around to it well, yet. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's open them. No, no. <laughs> Come on, Riley. I love to open presents. No, don't, please. Peg, Yes, let's open them. Oh. <laughs> hey, Riley, this big one's for you. This is yours, Junior. Here's yours, Babs. Well, go on, Riley. Open Huh? Yeah, I guess that's better. Well, look at that. An electric blanket. Yes, an electric blanket. An electric blanket? <laughs> but how... Oh, I, I can't understand. How did... How could you win this football? Beautiful handbag. Oh, thanks, Riley, darling. Yeah, but yesterday they were empty and... Holy smoke, I never believed it, but there is a Santa Claus. Oh, oh, well, how else did it... Oh, Peg. Peg, you, you went and... Oh, Dumplin', you filled... Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> well, I've got to be running along now, folks. Goodbye. No, wait, 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 boss. Yes? <laughs> did, did, didn't you forget something? Well, let's see. Coat, hat, gloves, cane. Oh, I've got everything. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No, I, I didn't mean that. I... I meant to, well, it's Christmas. You know, Christmas. <laughs> oh, 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 of course. Stupid of me. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mr. Stevenson. What a cheapskate. A whole year I slave for him and he don't even give me a bonus. I was counting on the bonus. Not for myself. I, I wanted to give it all to you, Dumplin'. Just goes to show you can't depend on nobody except your family. Oh, it was, it was wonderful what you'd done, Peg, surprising me like this. I don't know where you got that money to buy all... <laughs> Peg, you, you didn't... The bon not, not, not my bonus. You, you didn't take... <laughs> Mom sure put one over on you, Pop. She got the bonus from your boss yesterday. You stole my bonus. <laughs> You embezzled my bonus? I what? You borrowed my bonus and you're welcome to it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas dear. In just a moment, Riley will return. There is still time for you last-minute Christmas shoppers to buy a welcome gift for the beer drinkers on your list. Tomorrow morning, pick up a couple of Pabst Blue Ribbon Handy Six cartons. Then when somebody says, Oh, we forgot all about a gift for Uncle George, you'll have a Christmas package already wrapped and covered with gay holiday decorations. What's inside? Six regular-sized cans of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Finest beer served anywhere. Ask your dealer tomorrow for the Handy Six. I'll tell you one thing, Peg. 
What happened this Christmas taught me a lesson. I should think so. We won't have no trouble with our Christmas fun next year. Uh, this next year, I was thinking we'll, we'll, we'll save $3 a week. Huh? Oh, hey, Bob. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, now let's shell out for the first deposit. Here's my dollar. Oh, here's my 50 cents. Here's mine. And here's my dollar. Fine. Now, first thing tomorrow, I'll go to the bank and open it. Hey, Peg, wait, wait a minute, Peg. What are you taking that money for? I'll put it in the bank. This time, we'll keep it right here in the cream jug where I can keep an eye on it. <laughs> well, what's the matter with you, Peg? Don't you trust banks? <laughs> Folks, this is Riley, alias William Bendix. All of us, Peg, Babs, Junior, and Digger, are happy to be with you in this warm and wonderful holiday season. You've all been good friends, all you folks everywhere, in the big cities and the little towns and the farms and the ranches all over the USA. Yes, and the boys who are all over the world tonight in uniform. We're thinking of you and hoping you'll be home soon. Our sponsors, the makers of Pabst Blue Ribbon, join us in wishing you, wherever you are, a Merry Christmas. It's a real thrill to be able to send a holiday greeting to so many people all at once. So let me say again to the friends of the Rileys and Pabs Blue Ribbon everywhere, a very Merry Christmas. Oh, it's the life of Riley when it's Pabs Blue Ribbon you drink. The finest beer served anywhere, so let the glasses clink. Oh, east or west or north or south, there's nothing like it at all. Yes, you're living the life of Riley when for Pabs Blue Ribbon you call. When for Pabs Blue Pabst Blue Ribbon invites you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker by arrangement with Universal International Pictures, now releasing South Sea Sinner, starring Shelley Winters and McDonald Carey. Tonight's script is by Reuben Shipp and Alan Lipscott. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. Babs is Barbara Eiler. Junior is Bobby Ellis. And Mr. Stevenson is Alan Reed. Consult your local paper for the correct time of the Life of Riley show on television each week. That's Life of Riley from December 23rd, 1949, the Christmas card. William Bendix starring as uh, Chester A. Riley and Paula Winslow as Peg. A show created originally for Groucho Marx. Did you know that, bro? No, but I thought Jackie Gleason also was offered the part. So here's the deal. Okay. Irving Brecker, who I licensed this show from, um, he's passed now, but Irving Brecker wrote a lot of the movies for the Marx Brothers. He was a great writer. He wrote Meet Me in St. Louis and some other terrific movies. Bye Bye Birdie is another one he wrote. Mm -hmm. Academy Award-winning writer. He created a series. One of his best friends, or his best friend, was Groucho Marx. And Groucho was like, you know, I want to do a radio show. So Irving wrote a show called The Flotsam Family. That was the name of the show, The Flotsam Family. And it was similar to The Life of Riley. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he pitched it all around with, uh, with, with uh, Groucho as the star, and it didn't sell. For whatever reason, it didn't sell. I guess advertisers, he thinks advertisers didn't see Groucho as sort of a family man. Mm -hmm. And so it just sat on the shelf for a while, and then years later... He saw William Bendix in a movie. It might have been the Babe Ruth story or something like that. And Irving Brecker saw Babe Ruth, uh, saw William Bendix, and thought that guy would be the right guy for the Flotsam family. Mm. 
So he changed the name to The Life of Riley, pitched it, and it sold. And so William Bendix was Riley on radio. Then one day, one week, William Bendix was sick, couldn't do the show, and Irving Brecker knew about this guy named Jackie Gleason. He had Jackie Gleason step in that one one episode on the radio. Then when it went to television, when the show moved to TV, William Bendix was tied up with... Um, I believe it was Hal Wallace Pictures at the time, couldn't do a TV show. So he went back to Jackie Gleason, and Jackie Gleason starred as uh, Riley in the first season. But then he was able to get out of his Hal Wallace contract, and then they they had William Bendix. So that's the kind of the uh, lineage there. Yeah, very interesting. On, on all of that. All yeah. right, quick uh, quick commercial. Okay, folks. Drivers on their cell phones is a serious problem on our roadways. Whether you're talking or texting, cellular cellular use is a major distraction. What use? Cellular use. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was a new word you were uh, Well, there was a new word. A tough one, too. Yeah. Please be responsible and put your phone down while driving. Right. This message, No texting and driving. No texting or, dri- or talking or driving. Yeah. This message, courtesy of Nick's Towing, where they are working hard for the future of our great community. For all of your towing needs, call 847-671-5290. That's 847-671-5290. That's Nick's Towing in Chicago. On the air because they care. Yeah, Life of Riley it came to radio in 1941, bro, and lasted until 1951. So 11 seasons on the radio. Wow. And then when it transitioned to TV... That was 1948. That was really early because most of the TV shows, as you know, um, started to transition around early 50s. Early 50s, yeah. So that first season on TV for The Life of Riley with Jackie Gleason, very early, 1948. I mean, people didn't really have TV sets yet. I mean, it wasn't wasn't the, uh, the newfangled thing, and it was like, okay... Joe down the street has a TV. When are we going to get a TV? Right. I wonder what year did we get a TV, bro? Uh, I think in the... Well, I remember when I was five or six watching TV. So so, I'm I'm thinking around 1956. You're 12 years older than me. Yeah. So you were born in 51. 51. So you think it was later? Around 54, 55. We had a little square one. Mm -hmm. That's about the time. That's about the time most people were getting. Yeah. You know, we're getting these... Um... And then we had the second color TV on our block. Oh, did Years you? later. Yeah. Years later. We had the... My friend Terry Bishop had the first color TV. We mm-hmm. had the second. Wow. Yeah. yeah pretty yeah. progressive We, we knew everybody on our block. I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a website, and that website is 100radioshows.com. If you love these classic radio shows, it's a great way to uh, build your collection. And uh, it's a brand new site. It's just the number 100radioshows.com. And when you go there, there are seven different collections. Each one of those collections has 100 radio shows available. And these these links never expire. When you purchase any one of these seven collections, or all seven collections, you'll get 100 shows in each one, 50 hours of material. There's a Christmas collection. There's a comedy collection, there's a drama, detective, mystery, western, and even a greatest shows collection. Covers it all. 
Yeah, 700 radio shows. They're all digitally remastered. They sound amazing. And you can check it all out at 100radioshows.com. 100radioshows.com. Is that the number 100? Yeah, 100radioshows.com. Check out our website, and um, you can uh, build your collection that way. And they're never, as I say, the links never, ever disappear. And you can listen to them on any listening device. So check that out. Now, in our next hour, Dragnet, a Christmas episode of Dragnet, Jack Webb stars as uh, Sergeant Joe Friday. You know, these were true crime cases. Yeah, I know. They were taken from files that were uh, from the uh, from the LAPD. We're going to have uh, that coming your way after the news. Big thank you to Sammy Martino, Scott Nickel. They're doing an awesome job producing the show tonight. Thanks, guys. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. We have another hour of classic radio coming your way. And if you love these classic radio shows, make sure you tune in our regular time slot, 10 p.m., until 3 a.m., five straight hours of classic radio every Saturday night right here on WGN. Now, this Saturday coming up, I have uh, five classic radio shows, all New Year's shows, because we'll be right at, it'll be the 28th, so New Year's is right around the corner. And my co-host, because Lisa will be on vacation, the great Wayne Mesmer will be here with me. Um, Wayne and I will be bringing you classic radio shows for five straight hours and then you know what sammy and scott you're gonna love this are you ready for this guys making this as my first announcement first time announcing this the following saturday you know who my guest is for over a half an hour i'll take calls to does it give you any hint bert ward he played robin And he is our guest for a half an hour, take calls, and then we're going to play five classic radio shows. Each one of those classic radio shows has a villain from the Batman TV series. We have uh, Vincent Price, who played Egghead. Vincent Price. Right? We have uh, Cesar Romero, who was the Joker. Joker. We have Burgess Meredith. The Penguin. Penguin. We have Van Heflin. He, uh, I can't remember, I think he was like... uh, Gosh, I can't I remember, remember what villain he was, yeah. but he was a villain. And then Ida Lupino, and yeah, we got it's going to be great. So we have Burt Ward live on the air with us from L.A., take some calls, and um, and then play five classic radio shows with villains. So you don't want to miss that. All right, right after this short break, it's Dragnet. Great Christmas show. Stick around. Well, bro, I'm sure you remember watching Dragnet on television, right? Oh, yeah. The black and white and color versions. Yep. Started out as a black and white television show, and then they moved to color. And uh, Jack Webb created this series, and it was first a radio series. Probably the most popular, most famous police procedural of all the radio and uh, TV detective shows. Came to radio in 1949, lasted until 1957, nine seasons. These were true crime stories of closed cases from the LAPD. Um, Jack created this whole show. He was the driving force behind it. He started it, produced it, directed it, 
And uh, they had five sound effects experts on every episode because there was tons and tons of sound effects. And what he used to do, unlike any other show, he would take the microphones and he'd put them up very high and he would turn the volume of them up very high. And he'd have all the actors standing kind of four or five feet away from the microphones. And you'll hear a different ambiance when you listen to Dragnet than any of the other shows. He wanted it to be more realistic. And if you listen very carefully, he he really succeeded in in his uh, you know in what he wanted to do. So let's tune this in. It's a Christmas episode, very heartwarming show, December twenty first, nineteen fifty. This was their sort of annual Christmas show. They did this several times. It's called the twenty two caliber rifle for Christmas. Jack Webb stars now uninterrupted. Here's Dragnet. <laughs> The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A small boy is reported missing from his home. His age, nine years. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, December 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work, and it was 3.55 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Ben, what's doing? Oh, pretty quiet. How's your mother? Well, that cold's still hanging on. Bad cough. Doc says nothing serious. My kid's got the same thing. Must be some kind of a virus going around. Yeah. Is that a new suit you got on? Oh, yeah. Ma figured I needed one. Let me see. Oh, yeah, that's a nice shade of blue. Where'd you get it? Quincy's down in South Fig. Look okay? Turn around. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a good fit. Uh, did you get all the reports on the Webster case yet? Yeah, all taken care of. Let me get it. Homicide, Friday. Well, this is Levinson, Unit 113J. Got something for you. Yeah, Harry, what's doing? Doherty and I are out here on Collis Avenue, 4656. Trying to track down a nine-year-old boy. What's the story? The kid's missing. Suspicion of foul play. How long has he been gone? About two hours. Looks like a job for homicide. How do you figure? The kid was last seen playing in the backyard of his home. Yeah? We checked over the yard. Find anything? Blood stains. Lots of them. They look new. Ben and I left a message for Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. Then we went over to the crime lab, picked up Lieutenant Lee Jones, and drove out the Arroyo Seco Freeway to Collis Avenue. It was an average neighborhood. Number 4656 was a one-story green stucco residence situated on the corner of Collis Avenue and Harrison Drive. Beyond the backyard was a tract of undeveloped land covered with scrub oak. Harry Levinson from Highland Park Juvenile was waiting for us in front of the house. Back this way, fellas. I'm coming, Link. Wait till I get my back. Okay. Who notified you that the boy was missing, Harry? The mother. Said she went out to do some Christmas shopping about 11 this morning, left the boy home. 
Came back about two this afternoon. He was gone. What's the name? Johnstone. Kid's name is Stanley. Nine years old. Was this gate open like this when you got here? Oh, yeah. I haven't touched this thing. Uh, here are the stains over here, Lieutenant Jones. Uh, along the edge of the walk, see? Yeah. Let me see. Quite a few stains, huh? Looks like it might be blood. I'll tie some benzidine on these spots here. Well, there we are. See what happens? Where's the kid's mother now, here? Yeah, in the house. Doherty's talking to her. Did you talk to any of the neighbors? People next door. Uh, one's on this side. They couldn't tell us anything. There it is, fellas. Yelly? These spots are covered with benzidine. They're turning blue. Blood stains, all right. Can't say definitely whether it's human or animal blood. Mm -hmm. You have to go back to the lab to run it through. Yeah, biological precipitant test. Hand me one of those glass vials from my bag, will you? Yeah. Okay, here you are. Thanks. Scrape some of these flakes off for a test. There we are. How soon can you tap the blood force, Lee? Precipitin test won't run more than 20 minutes. It'll take three or four hours to run a blood grouping go. That's it. Anything else you want to check? Levinson? Anything else? Oh, uh, right here, my handkerchief. Empty shell. That marker over there by the rose bush, that's where I found it. Uh, from a 22, huh? Yeah. Might tie in, might not. Mark it and dump it in this envelope, will you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shell. There you go. Did you get out a missing broadcast in the boy here? Uh, Darty did about half hour ago. Oh, here's a description here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mother know about the bloodstains? No, we didn't tell her. She's worried enough already. And she has no idea what might have happened to her boy. No more than we do. She checked all her friends, relatives. We're covering the neighborhood. No trace so far. Not much to go on. Bloodstains, empty cartridge. Could mean a hundred things. Mm. Any ideas, Franny? Yeah, just one, and I don't like it. <laughs> Four thirty p.m. Thursday, December twenty-second. The neighborhood search for nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone continued. Lee Jones went back to the crime lab to start the precipitant test and the blood grouping. Levinson and his partner Doherty from Highland Juvenile stood by. We called Chief of Detectives Thad Brown and he ordered up a special detail to aid in the search for the missing boy. Ben and I questioned the boy's mother, Mrs. Ruth Johnstone, a woman in her early forties. She seemed fairly calm under the circumstances. Miss Johnstone, um. Is your boy standing in the habit of wandering off without telling you where he's going? No, he's not in the habit of wandering off, but he has done it before. When was the last time, Miss Johnstone? You don't have any children, do you, Sergeant Friday? No, I'm not married. Well, there comes that time in every young boy's life when he feels that it's time to leave home, to go out on his own. It usually happens somewhere around 8 to 10. I think I know what you mean. I've got a boy. Well, then you know how it is. My husband and I scolded Stanley one day after school. He was quite put out about it. He thought George and I were unfair. Packed a few of his things and left. How long was he gone? Oh, no time at all. About two hours. I was worried about him, but my husband said to leave him alone. Said every boy had to go through that stage. Well, then you think he's run away from home again this time? Yes, I think so. He's been gone about four hours now, and I have a funny feeling about it. Did you and his father have some misunderstanding with the boy recently? Well, that's just it. We haven't. I don't mind telling you now that we're talking about it. I'm, I am getting worried. Any place around that he might like to visit? Hobby shop, playground, where he might be? Yeah, there's uh, Jensen's model shop and little Shanna Burroughs, but I've already called him and he hasn't been seen all day. I called all his friends. They have no idea where he is either. We'd like a list of all his friends and the places that he was known to frequent. Oh, yeah, all right. I'll give them to you. What do you suppose he is? Where's your husband now, Miss Johnstone? Oh, he's at work. George works for the city. He's a fireman. What house is he stationed at? 
Engine Company 12. He's working the 8 platoon. He'll be home tomorrow morning. I haven't told him that Stanley's gone. Was there any chance that the boy might be down at the firehouse with his father? No. No, he seldom goes down there anymore. No, I don't think he's there. I'm awfully worried. May I call my husband? Certainly. Go right ahead. I know George will be worried. Stanley's been gone too long. Hello? May I speak with George Johnstone? This is Mrs. Johnstone. Thank you. I hate to call George at his work. Yes, ma'am. Does your husband own a gun? Yes, he does. What caliber? Do you know? Well, it's a forty-five automatic. He got it. George? This is Ruth. George, is Stanley down there with you by any chance? Oh. No, I can't find him anywhere. He hasn't been here when I came home from my shopping. Uh, there are two policemen here. No, I said there are two policemen here. Oh, no, dear. I'll call you if we don't find him soon. All right, dear. Yes, you too. Goodbye. Well, I, I didn't think he'd be with George. That forty-five is that the only gun in the household? Wait. Well, yes. Why are you asking about guns? Is, has anything happened that you're not telling me about? No, ma'am. Just routine checking. We'll have to take a look at that forty-five, though, if you don't mind. Maybe I should tell you. We we do have another gun in the house, but it, it's all wrapped up. George bought it for Stanley's Christmas present. May we see it, please? Well, yes. Will, will you have to unwrap it? Yes, I'm afraid so. Well, I think I can reach it. We we had to hide it. So let me see. Well, here's the paper it was wrapped in. Stanley must have found it. It's gone. See, here's the gift card in the box the gun came in. The rifle. Can I look at that box, ma'am? Thank you. How about it, Joe? Twenty-two caliber. <laughs> Thursday, December twenty-second, five fifteen p.m. It was getting dark. The search for the missing boy continued. We checked the list of Stanley Johnstone's friends. None of them or their parents had any idea of his whereabouts. We talked with Levinson again. He had been in touch with the detail combing the neighborhood. They had found nothing. We went down to Collis Avenue and 10th Street, service station on the corner. One nickel, Joe? No, I got one. You watch for that, huh? Yeah. Thank you. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Crime lab count. Hi, Lee. Joe Friday. Yeah, Joe. Any sign of the Johnson kid? No, not yet. How are you coming? Finished the precipitant test. It's human blood. Yeah. Working in the blood group now. Do you know what type the Johnson boy has? Well, we didn't want to upset his mother. I thought we'd wait till the last thing. We're still in the neighborhood. I check with the family physician. That way you won't disturb. Yeah, we figured on that. Oh, just a minute, Lee. Yeah, Ben. Boss just pulled up. Okay. Uh, Thad Brown's out here now. I'll check you later, Lee, huh? Right, Joe. All right, goodbye. Gentlemen, how's it going? Just checked with Lee Jones. Yeah, I know. It's human blood. What do you think? We talked with the boy's mother, Miss Johnston. Found a gun missing. Yeah. Caliber's the same as the empty casing that Levinson found. Twenty-two. You said the gun was missing. Yeah, the Johnstones were going to give it to the boy as a Christmas present. They had it hidden, but it's gone now. Any idea who took it? Well, they left the Christmas wrapping behind. I think it was the kid. Twenty-two rifle, huh? Nine-year-old boy. When are they going to learn? First, it's carbide cannons on the 4th of July. 
The city issued ordinance after ordinance, but a few thousand kids around the country had to lose their eyes, fingers, hands before the parents gives us their full cooperation to outlaw them. I don't know what you mean. Sure you do. You and every other cop in the country became the heaviest trying to clamp down on them. It's always the same story. This time it's guns for Christmas. I know what you're thinking, but we're not sure yet. Listen, Friday, there's a city ordinance against giving a gun to a kid. You know that. Yes, I know that. There's a missing boy and a missing gun. There's blood on the ground and an empty shell. That's enough for me. We're going to stay with it. Something's got to break. Yeah. I hope it's not the hearts of that kid's parents. Oh, hi, Chief. I've been looking for you, Friday. What do you got, Harry? Found the gun. New twenty-two rifle. Strong smell of cordite. I'd say it's been recently fired. Where'd you find it, Levinson? Uh, back up there in that scrub oak. Up behind the Johnston house. Mrs. Johnstone identified it. Buckley took it down to the crime lab. Thanks, Harry. Uh, is Mrs. Johnstone okay? Mm, pretty sick now. Kilby came up with something else. What's that? There's another one missing. An eight-year-old boy. 6.30 p.m. We talked with Officer Killaby about the other missing boy. He told us that his name was Stephen Morheim, eight years old. His family had just moved into the neighborhood, and it seemed that no one besides the Morheim family knew that the boys played together. Mrs. Morheim told us that Stephen told her that he was going out to play and that he'd be home by 6 o'clock for dinner. She told us that he was an unusually prompt boy and almost never overstayed his playtime. We got a description of the Morheim boy and put out a missing broadcast. We called the Johnstone's family doctor. He told us that Stanley's blood was type O. At 7 p.m., we talked again with Mrs. John Morheim. Are you sure Mrs. Johnstone doesn't know where the boys are? She has no idea, Ms. Morheim. It's terrible. It's just awful. I feel there's more to this thing. Something you're not telling me. There's no use to upset you until we know a few things for sure. Then you are holding back something. Now, please try not to worry, Ms. Morheim. There are certain questions we'll have to ask, routine questions in any kind of investigation. Is there anything else you want to know? Yes, ma'am. What is your boy's blood type? That's a funny question. Do you think anything's happened to him? Have you found him and you're not telling me? No, ma'am, we haven't found him. We don't think anything's happened to him. His blood type? Yes, ma'am. I think I have it written down in Stevie's baby book. Yes, here it is. Typo. Thank you. What if I might use your phone, please? Yes, of course. It's in the hall. I'll be right back, ma'am. Yeah, okay. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Hello, Ray. This is Friday. Lee there. Uh, just a minute, Joe. Take two, Lee. Joe speaking. Checking back, Lee. Uh, did you get the blood types on the two missing boys? Yeah, both boys type O. So are the stains, Joe. Type O. You are listening to Dragnet for the solution to an actual case from official police files. Eight p.m. Thursday, December twenty-second. Still no sign of either of the missing boys. Chief of Detectives Thad Brown went back to headquarters to direct the search from there. He dispatched another detail of fifty men to aid in the hunt for the missing youngsters. Eight thirty p.m was getting colder. The citrus growers were warned to expect a freeze. We went up the block to see Mrs. Johnstone. Her husband had quit work early and returned home. We talked with him. He could tell us nothing more than we already knew. 
We still had not informed either of the families about the blood stains and the empty cartridge casing which had been discovered in the backyard of the Johnstone home. It was more than possible that they had a right to know about our findings, but Ben and I felt that there was no cause to add the, to the distress of the two families at this time. If the two missing boys were found alive and well, then the blood stains and the cartridge case would be of no concern to the relieved parents. At 8.40 p.m., Ben and I left the Johnstone house and went to the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Moorheim. Ms. Moorheim, you said your husband worked at a market? Yes. He telephoned about 15 minutes ago and said he was closing up right away. He'll be here any minute. I don't wish Stevie would call or come home. It's so cold out tonight. All he had on was a thin cotton jacket. Please try not to worry. We're doing everything we can. He's going to be all right. Stevie's father's such a sensitive man. He and the boy are so close. I know he's terribly upset. No, you're sure there's no place you might have forgotten? Some place where the boy might be? No, no place. No. Anything happened to the boy, it'll just kill you. No, no. You sit still. I'll get it, Miss Morgan. Joe. Hi, Harry. The Johnstone kid. He's been found. He's home, Sergeant. He's come home. Thank God he's all right. Well, where's he been? Did he tell you? No. No, he didn't. He, his clothes were all dirty and he's acting strange. I've never seen him like this. How do you mean, Miss Johnson? Well, he just came in the front door and said, Hello, Mom. And then he sat down in a chair and stared at the floor. He won't talk to his father or me. Do you mind if I talk to him? No, go ahead. I asked him about the little Moorheim boy and he wouldn't tell me a thing. Where is he now? In the living room. Looks all right. Yes. Son. Son, this is a police officer. He he wants to talk to you. Now, don't be afraid, dear. He only wants to ask you some questions. Son. You see, Sergeant? Stanley. Come on, look at me, son. Get your head up, youngster. Come on, now that's better. I had your mother pretty worried, you know that? You want to tell us where you've been? I wish you'd try to get him to eat a little something. You hear that, son? Want something to eat? Stanley, there's another little boy up the street who hasn't come home. Do you know where he is? His father and mother are worried about him, too. Just like your folks were. You've got to help us find him, son. I... I killed him. I killed Steve with the 22. We were only playing. But I killed him. How do you know you killed him? Maybe he's only hurt. Now, isn't that it? No, he's dead. I know he's dead. The gun went off. We forgot we put bullets in there. Where is he, Stanley? I hid him. I was scared. I didn't want anybody to find him. Where did you hide him, son? In a cave up on the hill. I didn't mean it. It was my pal. You want to show us where, son? Yes, I'll show you. Please don't send me to jail. 9.15 p.m., Thursday, December 22nd. Nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone led the way up the hill behind the backyard of his home. He showed us the wagon he moved the body in. His father came along with us. About 50 feet from the crest of the hill, the boy pointed to a thicket of scrub oak. There we found a small cave holding the body of Stephen Morheim. 
There was a single bullet wound in his chest just below his heart. He was dead. We covered the body. Stanley. Stanley, how did it happen? I knew my folks were going to give me the gun for Christmas. I knew where it was, and I got it. There was a box of bullets with it. Were you pointing the gun at Stephen? No, sir. No, sir, I wasn't. It was Steve's turn to play with it. I was chasing him. He tripped over the stump there in our backyard and fell. The gun hit him in the stomach, and it went off. Why do you think you killed him if you're telling us the truth? I'm telling the truth, honest. That's the truth. All right, I believe you, son, but why do you think you killed him? It was my gun. Steve would still be alive if I didn't go and get it. I should have waited till Christmas. It's all my fault. Where have you been all this time? In the cave with Steve. What were you doing in there, son? I was praying. I was praying for God to make him alive again. After a thorough investigation, Ben and I were convinced that the shooting of Stephen Morheim was accidental. Lieutenant Lee Jones' findings substantiated the Johnstone boy's story even to the smallest detail. We put in a call to the coroner's office and acquainted him with the facts. He designated a local mortuary to handle the body pending autopsy and granted us permission to remove the body to the Morheim home. Mrs. Morheim collapsed. The family doctor was called. Ben and I sat in the living room to wait for John Morheim, the dead boy's father. Mr. Morhan? Yes. You the police? Yes, sir. Where's Edith? Where's my wife? Has my boy come home? Have you found him? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? Steve! Stevie! Where's Steve? He's hurt, isn't he? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's hurt bad, Mr. Morhan. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's in his room. Pretty bad. He's... He's dead. All right, if I go in. If you want to. Will you go with me? Sure. Don't make it any harder on yourself, Mr. Morheim. I want to see my boy. Listen to me, son. We've got you a lot of nice things for Christmas. Everything you wanted. I I got you the three new cars for the train. The one with the searchlights. Really works. Thank <laughs> you. 
right here. Won't you come in? It's all right, Mrs. Johnston. You, you're the boy that was with Stevie? Yes, sir. What's your name? Stanley. Stanley. I know it wasn't your fault, Stanley. I wonder if you'd do something for me. Yes, sir. I've got a lot of nice presents for Stevie. I know he'd want you to have them. I want to give them to you. Christmas Eve. Mom? I, I think that would be a fine idea, son. Come on, Ben. Well, what does it all prove, Joe? You don't give a kid a gun for Christmas. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed. To protect the innocent. On December 24th, 1948, a coroner's inquest was held in the county morgue, city and county of Los Angeles, state of California. At the coroner's inquest, it was officially recorded that Stephen Morheim's death was the result of an accident. Stanley Johnstone, age nine, was absolved of any legal responsibility for his friend's death. You have just heard Dragnets, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Acting Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Dragnet honors Hennepin County, Minneapolis, state of Minnesota, and the men of the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Sheriff Ed Ryan, veteran police officer and department administrator who dedicates his life to making yours more secure. Be sure to hear songs by Morton Downey tonight on NBC. 
That's Dragnet. Great episode. December 21st, 1950. Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday. And uh, he, he, was, he was Dragnet. I mean, you know, when you think about Dragnet... It was Jack Webb, and uh, also a great cast in that episode. And as I say, that was like their Christmas show. Uh, also in that cast, Herb Butterfield, Peggy Weber, who we've had on the show before. She's um, She runs a company called L.A. Theater Works, and she still is doing radio drama, Peggy Weber. Um, Bill Johnstone, who was the shadow for a while, he was in that cast. George Fenneman, who, of course, you remember on You Bet Your Life. He was uh, with Groucho Marx. He right. was the... Um, he was the announcer on that show. Uh, great episode of Dragnet. Originally, it was sponsored by Fatima Cigarettes. We had to remove the Fatima commercials because you can't play cigarette commercials on the radio. Hope you enjoyed that. Now, don't forget, folks, we are here every single Saturday night, five full hours, unless we're preempted for, you know, Hawks or something. But this Saturday, I don't believe we are. My co-host this Saturday will be Mr. Wayne Mesmer. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wayne and I will be here uh, bringing you all New Year's shows, five half-hour New Year's episodes. It's going to be a blast. And then the following Saturday, don't miss Burt Ward. Robin from Batman and Robin will be here, not here live, but he'll be on the air live with us. He'll be uh, calling in from California. We'll be talking about Batman. We'll take your calls. And then we're going to play five classic radio shows with villains. Cesar Romero, Vincent Price, Burgess Meredith, and some others. You will not want to miss our Batman program. That's January 4th right here on WGN. That's our regular time slot. Saturday nights, 10 p.m. until... 3 a.m. on Sunday. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more of the WGN Radio Theater. All right. Uh, hey, I want to remind all of our listeners about our Classic Radio Club. And, you know, actually I'm sitting here with two people that are members of the Classic Radio Club. Roger Baddish and my brother Vince. Yeah. And, uh, Roger, so did you get your uh, December yes, links? Roger did. likes the, the digital download links. I love the download. Can't wait to get them. At yeah. The beginning of every month. And the episodes, you've got everything in there. Yep, and they're all digitally remastered. Yeah. My brother, he likes the CDs. Oh, I always give him the I CDs. I like the CDs. Yeah, he okay. likes the CDs. Yeah. So, folks, if you uh, if you like classic radio, you might want to check out our classic radio club. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of members, and uh, they leave testimonials at the website. You can read some of those. But if you want to learn more about being a classic radio club member, well, you'll get 10 digitally remastered shows sent to you each and every month, plus liner notes that I write. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com, ClassicRadioClub.com. We'd love you to be a member. Now, don't forget, we, uh, we're here every Saturday, 10 p.m. until 3 a.m., unless we're uh, preempted by sports. Mm -hmm. And uh, this coming Saturday... Wayne Mesmer co-hosting with me. I'm very honored to have Wayne Mesmer yeah, on the air. Great guy. He is not only a great guy, he is a, he's a legend in mm -hmm. Chicago and in this and you know what? He knows his classic radio. Let yeah. me tell you. He had a classic radio show mm -hmm. on WXFM years ago. I used to listen to that show and uh that's how I got to be friends with with nice. Wayne over the years. Of course, I see him at Cubs games all the time mm -hmm. and we saw him over at Dave uh, Plyer's party. Right. He was right. at Dave's mm -hmm. party. Um so yeah, the great Wayne Mesmer co-hosting with me this Saturday 10 p.m. 
We're going to play some classic radio New Year's shows. And then a week from Saturday, Burt Ward, Robin, from the 1966 through 1969 Batman TV series. I've had Adam West on many, many times with me over the years. Adam's no longer with us. Uh, Burt Ward will talk about being Robin on Batman. So don't miss that. We'll see you. And thanks again.